Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Mr. Secretary, why did the department remove references to Ibram X. Kendi and the 1619 Project in its updated guidance? Thank you, Congressman, for the question. Uh, we take uh, the role of supporting our districts and schools very seriously, and we know that decisions around curricular uh, materials are best left to local districts, and we'll continue to have that belief as we move forward. So you, you, it, it, the guidance was there to telling teachers and schools, go teach about Ibram X. Kendi and 1619 Project. You took it out. Did you take it out because you decided ultimately that what they're teaching is inappropriate to teach our kids? Well, as I said, uh, Congressman Banks, we take the role very seriously of what we have, and the federal government doesn't have a role in curriculum. But what we recognize and what you mentioned illustrates I'm, I'm asking whether or not it's appropriate. Mr. Kendi called Justice Amy Coney Barrett a white colonizer because she adopted two Haitian children. Do you think that's appropriate to teach our kids? What I was going to say earlier, sir, is... Mr. Kendi also, in his book, he stated that capitalism is essentially racist. So at one point, you wanted to teach our kids Ibram X. Kendi's uh, findings and his teachings that capitalism is racist. Do you believe capitalism is essentially racist? What I was going to say, sir, is that this issue of... uh you know, even the grant proposals that we put out, where while we don't uh, influence curriculum, has become uh, the target of, of divisive culture wars. And we choose to stay above that and really. You start the culture war, you get called out on it, and then you say the problem is divisive culture wars. This is a constant, constant theme. This is like when you see. Um, People like Politico and others say Republicans seize, Republicans pounce. The political left does something so awful it's hard to believe. The political right says, what in the world is this? The political left says, look at the Republicans pouncing. Look at them seizing. As if somehow it's the political right doing something wrong. Well, this isn't even about the political right. This is about you, regardless of your politics, being able to say, we don't teach that capitalism is racist. That's insane. And why is the Department of Education, that's Miguel Cardona right there, the Secretary of Education, being questioned by Congressman Jim Banks. Why is he saying we don't want to get involved in what the local schools do when, after all, this administration and the political left is desperate to tell the states exactly how they're going to teach? Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Guys, what is going on? 833-GOT-TONY. 833-468-8669. They are desperate. And they are met with far too many teachers who believe that parents should have absolutely no say whatsoever. This is a story of a Florida fifth grade teacher who showed the movie Strange World to her students. Now, I know nothing of the movie Strange World. AJ, AJ is running the show today, uh, our producer today. Do you know the movie Strange World, AJ? I have not seen it. Right? Have heard N- it. Neither have I. Um, It goes back to 2022. Strange World was one of those movies when Disney was nothing but woke films. 
um, that had a gay character as a biracial queer teen. Don't care. I care if it's not essential to the film. The producers at Disney said that they have been working aggressively to put this uh, agenda in. They refer to it as gay agenda. They refer to it as showing characters like this, characters like that, characters like the other, forcing it into the movie. If you're forcing it into the movie, then the movie, therefore, is not good. Kevin McKeever, who... um, does a, a, a lot of lovely work and, and helping people with film work. One of the most decent people I've ever met was the first person ever to say this. And so I give him a proper credit when talking to the political right. And they'll tell you that they've got a movie they want to make. It's a great conservative movie. If you tell me you have a great conservative movie, what you're telling me is your movie sucks. Because by definition, it would have to. A movie is not a great conservative movie or a great liberal movie. A movie is a great movie based on story, based on arc, based on characters, based on conflict. Man versus man, man versus nature, man versus self. These are the conflict points. What is your movie about? Now, it can have subtext and it can show certain things, but if the characters are not focused on, well, what their character is supposed to do, and rather they're focused on moving some kind of political message, it can't be good. It just can't be. And we have seen this from the political left. We've seen movies they make in Hollywood. They're trash. This teacher shows the movie Strange World to fifth graders. Parents are unbelievably upset about this. They complain. The teacher does an interview on CNN. This is part of that interview. Parents, be listening. And Jenna, you've said you feel that this is a targeted attack. What do you mean when you say that? Um, this, that same school board member is currently going around right now trying to, well, along with, you know, the whole, what DeSantis is doing, trying to get rid of all basically diversity elements out of schools completely. Like they're trying to strip individuality and diversity to fit one common agenda and it's ruining everything. It's not what America stands for. I think let's let our viewers listen to what that parent said um, that complained about you doing this in in a recent school board meeting. Here it is. It is not a teacher's job to impose their beliefs upon a child. Religious, sexual orientation, gender identity, any of the above. But allowing movies such as this assist teachers in opening a door. And please hear me. They assist teachers in opening a door for conversations that have no place in our classrooms. We had played that for the viewers in the introduction, but I just want to give you a chance to respond. 
Yeah, so that's what she's missing and what these parents are missing is they're not in the school system. That that just shows me that she's ignorant and has not come and volunteered at all. Because our, these conversations, these doors, they're open. These students have one-to-one -one devices. The amount of things that they're able to pull up that we have to shut down, they, they, these conversations, these doors that she's talking about, that's telling, telling me I'm stripping her rights as a parent, those rights are gone when your child's in the public school system because there are students talking about these things. It's where they get 90% of their socialization for the day. This teacher is making the argument that you should break the public school system in two and pull your kids out immediately, if not sooner. She shouldn't have a job. But let's take a step back for a moment. A couple of things got said here. Ron DeSantis is taking away all diversity. No, he's not. You shouldn't be having conversations about sexuality with students. I think the question for the teacher in this case, and certainly it's not all teachers, why do you feel the need to share certain things with students? You think it's important that you share your sex life with students? You think it's important that you share your sexuality with students? You think that's important? I think it's important that you teach English. But you know, what can I say? I'm a purist. Secondly, what the parent said is rather apt. Engaging in these types of things, showing this movie to fifth graders, opens the door to allow teachers to engage the student, not the other way around. One can clearly question, should ask, what happens if a student asks you a question? Am I now in a place where I can't answer the question? Well, what about the idea that some questions you shouldn't answer? That's a question for your parents. As we have seen from so many of these groups, so many of these teachers, so many of these organizations, they hate the parent. They don't trust the parent. They state that the parent is the problem. In Washington State, if you won't give your kid gender-affirming care, they have the right to take your kid from you. We have heard in my beloved Indiana from groups that will say that the parent is the issue because if a child comes out as this or that, one in four will be kicked out of the home and two of the other three won't, won't feel safe. They're saying, these groups are saying that the parents are the issue. The parents are the problem. The parents can't be trusted. And all this goes back to that Marxism conversation about trying to cleave the parent from the child. That's the objective. That's the purpose. Cleave the parent from the child. What's the point of parents? And then it gets to the end. The end there, which I will gladly replay for you. Because our, these conversations, these doors, they're open. These students have one-to-one -one devices. The amount of things that they're able to pull up that we have to shut down, they, they, these conversations, these doors that she's talking about, that's telling, telling me I'm stripping her rights as a parent, those rights are gone when your child's in the public school system because there are students talking about these things. It's where they get 90% of their socialization for the why are your rights gone when your child is in the public school system? Because kids have cell phones and they're looking things up? 
What does that have to do with you showing this movie, the only purpose of which is to get kids to talk to you about the things you want to talk about, which are these sexual things? My God, why does the left so desperately want to sexualize kids? The whole thing is weird. And before you say to me, whoa, Tony. I've already said it's not every teacher. I feel awful for good teachers. My kids go to public school. It's been a conversation. We discuss it. But I I cannot tell you that in the main, not with everything, not everywhere, I cannot tell you how absolutely impressed I am with the education my kids get. Like... I'm, I'm floored. Now, some of it I have objections to. I handle those things with my kids, and when I feel I need to be vocal, I am. I have not actually felt that need yet. And part of it is, maybe it's, maybe it's because it's my kids and because of how we live and how we talk about things, um, thats they don't get sucked into some of this insanity. There are good teachers out there. But there are those who are desperate to sexualize kids and force this upon them. The Waldorf School of Garden City, Long Island, which is, I, I believe it's a private school, progressive Waldorf School, Waldorf School, as described by the New York Post, has angry parents, some threatening to pull their kids out of school because of a new mandatory sex education for fifth graders that teaches, among other things, oral and anal sex and masturbation with illustrations. Why? Why is the left so desperate to do this? Fifth graders need to learn this? It's important No, it's those progressives who believe that parents don't do the right job. Only we know how to educate these kids. And how do we get expect these kids to fall in love with us if we don't teach them the things that we want? I mean, how how will they know how the world works? Oh, I'm sorry. That's not something that happens. Please. I said it. Of course it happens. This is about, again cleaving the parent from the child. Why should the parent be able to protect the kid? Because a fifth grader doesn't need to learn about those things. They don't need it. But if I say my kid doesn't need it, you tell me that I don't have the right to say anything because I'm not an expert. I'm the problem. You want to sexualize my kid. You're weird. I'm saying no, and I'm willing to fight about it. It's constant. And it's why you got to stay on top of it. And I understand that it makes you angry because it makes me angry too. But I'm going to get into more of a conversation about not being angry. About allowing yourself to take a breath and a beat. I'll get into that. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. So as many of you know, About this time every year, I get this desire to purchase a classic car. It's 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 like a dog in heat. I get this I get this itch. I'm like, I have to do this. 
and the Meekum auction comes to town. I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna do it. And and this year I couldn't go, but I I, I registered as an internet bidder. Uh, there are one or two things that I'm interested in. I'm I'm gonna do it. And yesterday. I was looking, Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. The Meekum auction is massive. They happen all around the country and here in Indianapolis, it's it's giant. There are a couple things where I'm like, that's cool. And I had placed some bids. I lost out. I lost out on everything. I was like, all right, all right, that happens. There were a couple things today I was going to look at and that was it. I'm looking and things are coming up and and a car comes up. I'm like, that's cool. It's a 1996 Ford Bronco. Now, the Ford Bronco, I'm not talking about the, the, the Bronco 2. I'm talking about the big one. I'm talking about uh, OJ and Cowling. That's what I'm talking about, the Bronco. By the way, there's some people who won't know what I'm talking about. That's how old you are. And so it's it's. Starting off very low, I'm an online bidder. Like, all right, what the heck? I'll give it a go. And as I give it a go, bloop, that price jumped. But I'm online. Bloop, I click it. Oh my, that is not that is not what I wanted to spend. Okay, all right, it goes past me. All right, it goes. Whew. Okay, that's that's fine. Next thing you know, the bidding is done, and I get a notification, you won. So now, I am the owner of a 1996 red Ford Bronco. What the hell am I going to do with this thing? And I know you're saying, Tony, you did it. First things first, I, it, I, I thought I was in a different price point it it moved faster i i learned a lot on the job oh oh my gosh and then somebody called me it was like did you mean to do that i'm like did i mean to i had placed a, a, a bid but the thing was doing a thing i i think they just wanted me on tape saying yeah i meant to so now i have to get it um i have to go pick up a 1996 ford bronco now, I sent the link over to AJ, who is producing the show today, and AJ made me feel better by saying, damn. So, so according to you, AJ, it's okay. Oh, it's wonderful. I mean, you can't go wrong with this purchase. Red, gray interior. It's, it's a cloth, not, not a leather interior. Power seats. It's the XLT. Um, I actually always liked kind of like the two-tone look of, of the Bronco. This one's all red, so I'm like, am I going to wrap this thing? And then I need on the back, I need the bracket uh, for for holding the, the spare. Like, that's the only thing it's missing. But it looks it looks fantastic. 96 was the last year they were they were made in that in that style. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to... I... I, I I don't. I don't think I have an option. The guy I know there was like, uh, "How did it go?" I'm like, ah, it "Wasn't wasn't what I was going for." He goes, "Are are you pleased?" I'm like, uh, I, "How do I, I? I'm not not really, but it's okay. But it's not because the. So I don't know. I, I but you know you 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 live by you die by it. You you got to be a guy who who lives up to things. I don't I don't know if there's something you done, but. There it is. There it is. You may very well be seeing me 
1996 all red Ford Bronco. That's the other thing, all red. Like, usually I'd be like, you get it painted, but now everybody gets things wrapped. I saw a wrap yesterday. I'm like, wow, it's really impressive. You can do some good work. So, if anybody's looking for a Bronco, I, I may have one for sale. I don't, I don't know, maybe. Think I could just wrap it with, with the logo? Maybe Eat, Drink, Smoke, the Cigar and Bourbon show? It's a business expense, right? It's totally a business expense. That's got to be it. So, uh, if you see me driving down the road, wave, won't you? This is Tony Katz today. Caitlin Collins is going to get the 9 p.m. slot on CNN. Okay. So, we're still not getting anybody to watch CNN. If you always do what you always did, you always get what you always got. Isn't that the expression? Caitlin Collins does not bring an audience. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. 833 got Tony. 833-468-8669. Uh, am I saying that I would bring an audience? I, I think I could be more entertaining. No, no, wait. I'm definitely more entertaining than Caitlin Collins. Now, does that mean Caitlin Collins is a bad person? Well, I don't think she handled Trump well. That said, if she's liked by her coworkers, if she's, you know, a, a, a solid reporter, well, all right, well, good on her. And I'm not mad that she's got the gig. More power to you. Get yours. 100% get yours. Feel free. Go right ahead. But it's it's certainly something... When you are simply moving around the pieces on the chessboard, when in actuality you're playing football, it's not chess. You're playing a totally different game. You're still using all the old pieces that got you nowhere and using them to try and get you somewhere. And that's weird because these pieces can't get you anywhere. That's my take. The pieces that they have cannot do the job. These pieces have already been ruined. Ruined. But here is... Chris Licht, the CEO, he's going to somehow prove to us that this is going to work. Okay. All right, go go, go make it work. Knock yourself out. All the best. But this is not going to grab a single viewer, so I don't quite understand what it is you're going for. I don't know who you think you build from this. I don't know what interviews you're going to have. Now, if you say to me, well, Tony, are you saying you need a person of note? I think you could go uh, in, a, in a very different direction and try something totally new. You could just try something totally new instead of the rehash. You see it differently. Best of luck to you.
I move you over to um, John Fetterman. John Fetterman, who is the senator from Pennsylvania. John Fetterman is not okay. And if you missed this, he's taking part in a Senate Banking Committee conference or, or hearing with um, the failed leaders of Signature Bank in New York and Silicon Valley Bank and a host of others. And they failed and they failed miserably. And they're trying to defend themselves. And what are you defending? And if we're going to hear people like Elizabeth Warren say, um, you should not get paid. You should have to give back the money that you made when the bank goes under. Well, that's fine if you want to make that argument. But can we also make the argument that the American people shouldn't have to bail anybody out? If you're saying that the people who put their deposits in the bank shouldn't have to pay a CEO's salary when the bank goes under, then you should say in the same breath, and the American people who had no connection to the bank shouldn't have to pay for the bailout. That would seem to me to make a tremendous amount of sense. Not making sense is John Fetterman. John Fetterman is on this committee, and I'm going to share with you what he said. I'm going to. Sh- it's not the in full of what he said. It's about a minute and a half of what he said. You need to hear it because this is a sitting senator. And I want you to ask yourself a question. Do you think this man is okay? Is, is it staggering? Is it a staggering responsibility that, uh, the, that the head of a bank could literally, could literally crash our economy? It's astonishing. That's like if you have, I mean, like, uh, and, and they also realize is that, that, that now they have it's in a guaranteed a guaranteed way to be saved by no again by no matter no by by how you know so it's it's you know isn't it appropriate that the those kinds of this kind of control should be more stricter to prevent this kind of thing from going or should we just go on and start bailing and sailing whoever bank regardless of how how there's their conduct is you know, I'll give you an example uh, the Republicans want to give a, a work requirement for snap you know for a, 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 a hungry family has to, to have these this kind of penalties or these some kinds of word working uh, required shouldn't you have a working requirement after you sale your bank with billions of your bank because they seem to be more pre- preoccupied uh, when then SNAP uh, and requirements for works for hungry people, but not about pr- protecting the ta- the taxpayers, you know, that will bail no matter whatever does about a bank to crash it. That got said by a sitting U.S. senator. Now, if I was someone who was going to pretend that I understand what the senator was saying. The argument he's making, or the statement that he's making is, it's amazing that a head of a bank could literally crash our economy. And they get guaranteed and they get bailed out. Republicans want a work requirement for SNAP. Why shouldn't the bank have some kind of work requirement uh, when you uh, when you crash it? That protects the taxpayers. 
I think that's what he was saying. The point I make to you is that I would have to make assumptions that I could fill in these gaps. The reality is John Fetterman, the senator from Pennsylvania, cannot fill in the gaps. That statement from the senator should bother you. It should bother you that nobody cares enough about this man to get him the help he needs. Stop forcing him into this job. This is dangerous because just as he has these massive gaps in being able to get out a statement, this level of incoherence, should I or should I not be concerned that he could inadvertently say something that is privileged or confidential or classified? to someone that he shouldn't because of these same gaps. How dare you tell me I can't mention that? How dare you think you get to call me an ableist? You could take that conversation and shove it. I'm not buying in. We're talking about the safety and the security of the United States. We're talking about a guy who is not okay. He's not okay. Why is it that nobody cares about him? The whole thing doesn't make any sense. Why is it that no one cares about him? Why is it that Democrats are okay with this? You think this looks good? You think that that this isn't seen by are Americans really looking at this and saying oh he's trying so hard do we do we not have any standards whatsoever we have to look at this and say get this man some damn help why is it that i care more about him than his wife why I don't know, but I do. There are other maddening things out there. The Los Angeles Times has a headline. A black woman and a white woman went viral fighting racism. Then they stopped speaking to each other. Oh, gosh, that's a, that's a shame. I mean, they were, they were friends, right? They, they, they were friends. And and now that now they're not, that's too bad. This is the story of a woman named Michelle Sahin and Melissa DePino. They were at a Philadelphia Starbucks five years ago when two black businessmen asked to use the restroom, and a white barista called police, leading the men away in handcuffs. Now, I, I don't actually remember the story, but okay, I'll take their word for it. And so they're screaming, look, these guys didn't do anything. These two women didn't know each other. And then they started uh, talking. They shared the video. Uh, according to the LA Times, it was a public relations disaster for Starbucks, as is everything Starbucks does. And they teamed up to promote awareness about racism and started a company to provide sensitivity training to corporations 
as DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, was taking off. Oh, yes, I'm going to trust these two women to teach me about sensitivity. Um, they are no longer friends. They couldn't stay together. As the story quotes, this is what happens when white women insert themselves into what should be black-led organizations, according to Sahin, who is black and 36. White supremacy and emotional abuse get masked under kindness. DePino states, she's white and she's 55, this is what it looks like to be canceled. I'm not really sure what I did wrong. Um, well... Uh, what, what you did wrong was be white. And there are far too many people who, while screaming about anti-racism, are the biggest bigots out there. We've only been making this argument for years now that if you state that someone is guilty based on the color of their skin, nothing they do could ever be good enough. There is no way to make things better. You're never okay, you're always guilty. It's a very KKK way to look at the world, but that's what the anti-racist does. That's the bigotry. They start a, a friendship. They start a business. We can really do something here, but no, no, you can't do something here because you'll never be good enough. You'll always be a bigot. Deep down, you're always a bigot. You're just a bigot, nothing but a bigot. I can't actually know you as a person because I must, in order to prove my bona fides, look at your skin color and decide that you are X. The people who push DEI, the people who who, who push anti-racism, man, they're the biggest bigots out there. How is is what it is that they engage, how is it different than um, the the, the KKK people who uh, believe in some kind of supremacy or other people are inferior? This is the argument. This is exactly what happened. I think the only people surprised by this is the white woman in this story. So give it a read because it's a great example of what happens when you let skin color run your life. But that is very different than noting skin color or different than noting when something is off. Uh, You will hear people say, I don't see color. (laughs) I do. I see color, I see height, I see weight, I see uh, hairstyles, I see everything. I see, I have eyes, I'm aware, I see things. I shouldn't notice? That's, that's kind of crazy. I think I should notice. I think it's important to know, I think it's kind of rude if you don't. It's like super weird if you don't notice. Super weird. Oh, give the story a read. I, I'm going to go back and get into into uh, more of it. This is 
It, I, I wonder how many more stories there are out there like this. I'm really, really, really curious. And I think the answer is there are a lot of them. I'm Tony Katz. I don't know about you guys, but it's beautiful out. It's beautiful out. And uh, yeah, I'm going to. I'm going to do the next hour outside. Honestly, I, what, was someone going to stop me? Just, what, why are there rules? Rules don't make any sense sometimes. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. T-O-N-Y-K-A-T-Z. TonyKatz.com. It's easy to be a part of what we're building. Right now, the Dow is up over 400. The NASDAQ is up 166. This on the hopes that the debt ceiling is going to be uh, taken care of. That what's going to happen is that there will be an increase in the debt limit. Okay. You got to love how the market works. We think it's going to work out, so woo! That's, I mean, it's just the way it is. I, I want the markets uh, to do well, but this is a, a weird reason. A weird, weird reason to see the jump. Also, uh, the the conversation about the race for governor in Kentucky, we were bringing this up yesterday, where you had uh, Cameron, who was backed by Donald Trump, the Attorney General Daniel Cameron, going up in the primary against Kelly Kraft, the former U.N. ambassador who was endorsed by Ron DeSantis and Vivek Ramaswamy. Cameron win. Cameron won, I should say. Cameron wins. Cameron won. Cameron won. He's going to go up against Democrat Andy Bashir in the, in the general. So does this mean that Ron DeSantis is done for 2024? Of course not. Trump hasn't lost some uh, primaries where he uh, endorsed people? Of course he has. It was a cute story for a day. I guess we've moved on now. I'm Tony Katz.